Amen. Would you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and uh, we're going to jump right in. Uh, Thank you, Brother Bob, for leading us into prayer. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is probably unarguably um, the most notable chapter of the entire book. Um, I don't know if it's, I, it, would, it would be probably irreverent and not appropriate to say there is a best chapter in the book, uh, but this is certainly the most notable chapter, the most memorable chapter, uh, like we mentioned uh, uh, at the beginning of the sermon uh, series. An entire song is written out of this uh, chapter. Chapter 3 possesses probably the most recognizable um, illustration in this particular uh, uh, book. A, a little bit like if, you, if there was a postcard of Ecclesiastes, it'd be chapter 3. Right. If there's a postcard of Yosemite, it's probably Half Dome. Uh, that's what chapter 3 is to uh, the book. It's a powerful chapter, and it holds the potent truth about the seasonality of life. And uh, that's something that probably most of us would have a grasp on to a, a measurable degree or another. It's something we might even think we have a pretty good grasp on. We, we all recognize that life has seasons, right? We recognize there are seasons of good, there are seasons of bad. We know that there are seasons of joy, and there are seasons of tears. Um, But I want to kind of encourage you to come away from a superficial understanding, and you may not have a superficial understanding, but here's what chapter 3 does to us. Chapter 3 drags us into the deep end of understanding how life has, excuse me, how life has seasons and the inescapable reality of seasons. Now, when it comes to living on planet Earth, we all understand that seasons come. Now, if you live in Bakersfield, we really just have two seasons. It's hot and then it's cold. Uh, but in, in the place I grew up in, in Napa, we had four seasons, right? We actually had fall and we actually had spring. Uh, but we all get that, right? That at a certain time of the year, because of our position in the, on the globe and our position to the sun, uh, thank you, Brother Bob, for explaining to me, uh, to me that uh, on Sunday. You can see him from information on that. But uh, because of our position on the globe and our tilt away from the sun, it's unavoidable. Seasons are going to change. They're going to come. And as much as we want them to stay, they won't stay. And then the season that comes, as much as we want it to leave, it's not going to leave until it's the time for it to leave. And so we have a grasp, honestly, a really good grasp on seasons. uh, But Ecclesiastes and Solomon is going to really appropriate that and really color over life with that understanding. And so it's really important to kind of, we're more prepared for this chapter than, than you might think. Because of your robust understanding of seasons, bring that with you and unpack chapter three with that in mind, because that's really the only illustration he's going to go after. And he's going to hammer some really important truths. And you're going to recognize those are true about regular, you know, the fall, winter, spring seasons. That's true also of life. And so be ready for that. We're going to learn 13 truths about the seasonality of life. 13 of them, okay? And uh, some of them we'll spend more time on. Um, some of them overlap. And so we'll, we'll give it due time, but we'll also come back and really develop it. There's a couple of those that they're, they're saying similar things, but slightly different. And then we'll, we'll kind of save some of the meat on the bone for, for two or three verses later. And I'll, I'll explain when we get to there. So let's dive into chapter number three. Um, we looked at chapter number one. We looked at chapter number two. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, who Solomon was, how he wrote the book. If you're unfamiliar with that, go back and listen to some of those things. Uh, but let's dive into chapter number three, verse number one. And let's just go verse by verse. We're going to learn tonight. I hope it's a blessing to you. It's certainly been a blessing to me. Uh, there are things that are reinforced in my understanding about life, and, and they're not always easy to, to, to digest. They're easy to recognize as true, but it's harder to really accept, I think, on, on a logical sense. So let's jump in into chapter number three. It says, to everything, and that's important, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So what he says, and this is actually the highest hill to climb, is why it's first, in my opinion. Solomon wants us to understand that everything 
has a season and every purpose has a time. Uh, and that means that the good things, man, that's ordained by God that it's going to, it's gonna, you know, the, the spring is going to come. It's ordained by God that the rain is going to come at, so, at, so, at a certain point in, in uh, our, our world. It's ordained by God, everything, but so is the, the drought. And so is the summer months, and so is the heat. Everything has a season. Uh, and so again, the things we like, those have seasons. And the things we dislike, they also have a predetermined, designed by God, built into creation and life. They are designed and they are absolutely unavoidable. And that's the first thing we want to learn, right? We're going to unpack 13 truths. The first thing we want to learn is that different seasons are unavoidable. There is no escaping it. We haven't even seen really the variableness of life or seasons just yet. But the first nine verses of this book, if you know what comes or just briefly look down, and it talks about a time to be born and a time to die. They're equal and opposite seasons, what you're going to find through the rest of it. They're good seasons and bad seasons. They're sowing seasons and reaping seasons. But Solomon starts out with the inescapable reality that life is a constant revolution of unavoidable seasons. How many of you like normal? Raise your hand. Right? I love normal, although I'm not totally certain what normal is, right? You know, it's kind of like people say that adulthood is just people saying it'll slow down later every day until they die. And uh, I think that's, there's some reality to that. It feels that way sometimes. But, you know, this, this, this static kind of normal level, the fact of the matter is life is unavoidably changing at all times. And no matter how much you hate the cold, there's a season and a time for it. How many of you are, you enjoy the cold? Raise your hand. How many of you would rather it be hot? Okay, here's the reality. Those of you who like it hot, it's going to be cold. And those of you who like it cold, it's going to get hot. Those of you who like the spring, it's going to change. And eventually, you'll be on the other side of that in the fall. Listen, the seasonality of life is 100% unavoidable. Life changes. Circumstances change. People change. Churches change. We all change throughout the years. And sometimes that's up and sometimes that's down. But look at verse number two and you're going to see uh, not only are seasons unavoidable. Look at what verse number two says. A time to be born and a time to die. The second truth we learn about life, not just fall, winter, spring, summer. The second thing we learn about life is that seasons are a mixture of both joy and pain. That's just how life is. It's, it's a mixture of both cold and hot. It's a mixture of both comfortable and uncomfortable. Uh, what, let me ask, what's your favorite of the, the four seasons? What is your favorite season? Just say it. Okay. What's your least favorite season? Okay. Winter. I'm with you, though. I, my, my favorite is spring, and my least favorite is winter. How many of you are in my boat? Yeah, come on. Those are the most comfortable seasons, right? We actually read this chapter through with my kids and we asked him, what's your favorite season and why? Carter's like, summer, 4th of July, barbecue and lighting stuff on fire. No joke is what he said. Emma says, winter, Christmas time and hot cocoa. And I'm like, okay, that's just it though. Every season has its benefits, but every season has its drawbacks. And that is unavoidable with life. There is a time to be born and there is a time to die because God has ordained them both. But let me ask you why. Why has God ordained them both? Because each season is so important to your development and health. Think about, again, this is what I mean by you have a solid understanding of the seasons of our globe that really do apply. Let me ask you, without, or let me just kind of state this and follow along. If there was no rent winter, there would be no rest for the ground. If there was no rest for the ground, there would be no preparation work 
so that spring might happen. And if spring doesn't happen, the harvest of summer doesn't come. And if the harvest doesn't come, then there'll be no fall to put all those nutrients back into the ground so that it can rest through the winter and break down so that there can be a spring that comes so that there can be a summer. And if you subtract one of those seasons, the whole system doesn't work. And seasons are unavoidable, listen, because they are a necessary part of your proper balance and my proper balance of life. And again, it says a time to be born and a time to die. Seasons don't have to be liked to be necessary. Think about that. Seasons of life don't have to be enjoyable for them to be necessary, right? There's a large portion of winter that I just don't enjoy. I don't enjoy trying to get in my truck and come to the office and have to wait for my windshield to defrost, right? Uh, for those of you who live in actually harder climates, right? Snow. Uh, I just have to drive in frost, okay? Feel bad for us, right? But uh, it, the, the fact of the matter is it doesn't have to be enjoyable for it to be beneficial. There is more at stake than your enjoyment in the cold of winter, okay? Think, just go back over here, right? We're, we're talking just in our, 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 uh, our global kind of seasonal sense. If, if all of a sudden God in heaven looked down and said, yeah, Casey really doesn't like winter, we're going to cancel it. You know how many things don't work because of that? Because of my, but I, I want my way, right? And we would all laugh because that's ridiculous. But then in the spiritual realm, We look at God and say, yeah, but I don't like this season. And God says, so you want me to cancel the entire season because it's not enjoyable? There are so many benefits that come from the seasons that you're in, even in the hard seasons. Again, probably my greatest phrase that Solomon's going to give us in this entire book is when he tells us that it's better to go into the house of mourning than in the house of laughter and joy. He says, over here in the house of mourning, the heart is made stronger. And in seasons of hardship and difficulty, your heart is made stronger. And because it's not enjoyable does not mean it's not beneficial, does not mean that it is not necessary. Listen, everyone loves birthdays. No one loves gravesides. But that's a part of the seasonal plan of God. Please understand some of this too. We'll, we'll see this in a second. Some of this is a reaction to the fall. It was never a part of the plan of God that we would die, right? God's plan was that it would always be eternal spring, right? That we'd walk and have no, we'd never need hardship to shape us. We'd never need the cold, hard night. We would, we would just, we would be like Jesus. But because of the fall, now there is a plan for us to be born and a plan for us to die. Let's learn our third seasonal reality at the end of verse number two. Some of these are going to be broke up because there's kind of two, two lines in each of these uh, verses. It says, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. It means to pull up by the root. And that's, that, that's interesting. Again, because if you go over here to our, our real world understanding, if anybody in here plants anything, hopefully it's legal, uh, if anybody in here plants anything, you know that there's a time to put it in the ground and there's a time and a necessary moment where you have to pull it out of the ground. And that's necessary for the health of the soil. It's also unnecessary to leave it in there because it's not going to bear any more fruit. And so, yeah, you put in the work and you, you till the soil, you prepare the soil, you put the nutrients in the soil, you wait for the right temperature, you plant it, you water it, you nurture it, you make sure there's no bugs on it, you make sure that you bring it up in a nurture and now, now it's bearing fruit. And man, that's an awesome season. But eventually it's cumbering the ground right? Uh, tomato plants right now in Bakersfield, for the most part, they're not bearing fruit. It was like 70 degrees last week, so it might be, but normally they're being pulled out by now because it's not bearing any fruit. It's not the season for it anymore. So listen, there, there comes a season in life where life changes, and, he, and I want to be careful with this. Some of these truths, well, I would say many of these truths do require a spiritual maturity, 
because what I'm about to say, if you interpret this through a, through a fleshly lens, you're going to be like, yep, I'm done doing that. Here's what, here's, what, here's what this truth is teaching us. That there is a season to invest, and there's a season to not invest. There's a season to invest, and then there's a season to withdraw investing. Now, again, if you're unspiritual, you're like, I just need some me time. I'm not going to be obedient to Jesus. Not what the passage is saying. Okay, let me give you an example. I think how this would apply to real world. Um, for four years... I loved, I was doing what God called me. I loved being the youth pastor in Lompoc, California. Loved it. Poured my life into that particular field. There came a time where God said, hey, you're not going to invest in that field anymore. It's time to pluck your family up and go invest somewhere else. Okay? Uh, Another example of that would be your children, right? Right now, for those of you who have little kids in your family, you're going to invest and invest and invest, and eventually they're going to uproot and move, and you're not going to be able to invest like you did. And so what that should teach us is not like we shouldn't be on the other side just deciding I'm no longer investing. We should be like, hey, investment is only for so long and I'm going to pour everything I can in while the sun is out and while the plants are you know, bearing fruit, while there's an opportunity to invest, let me invest as much as I can because there's going to come a time where maybe, hey, God transitions you away from, you know, man, you were teaching a Sunday school class and now you're, you're over here doing this. That's just how life works. I wish I could invest six lives into the kingdom of heaven, but I, I only have one. And God has planted me here to invest in this stage uh, and in this church. And so, uh, again, as much as I enjoyed that time in Lompoc, what God has placed me at for now is, or, or here, I don't mean to say for now. I'm here until Jesus takes me, okay? Uh, let's go to the next one. This one requires, again, careful humility as well. Please, please, please pay attention closely with a humble heart and a spiritual mind. Otherwise, you're going to interpret Scripture to make it say whatever you want it to. Look at verse number three. A time to kill... And a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. So this now has almost the opposite kind of weight on it. On the first one, it's, hey, invest while you can. This one, hey, when it's necessary, end it. So here's here's how I'll say this. Number five, or number four, what we're learning is healing and repair is not always necessarily the right answer. Now, please, please be careful, careful. We aren't, we aren't supposed to euthanize every healthy relationship we have, right? I just, it was time to break it down. It was time to kill that. No, no, listen, understand this. The thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But also understand this. Jesus did curse the fruitless tree that cumbered the ground, right? Jesus did take that, that and again, that tree representing the nation of Israel, um, careful application is need he, needed here. I think we should do every single thing we can to not have to pack up and break down something, a relationship or so forth. I'm going to save a little of this until we get down the, the page just a little bit, and you'll see why in a minute. But please, again, keep this in mind that sometimes some things do need to be broken down. It, you, you've built something up, and now it's just it's, it's time to, to break that thing down. Sometimes it's, you know, I look at certain institutions, extra-biblical institutions, not, not the church. The church is promised forever. The church is promised perpetuity. But, you know, there may come a day where Camp Forge, as a ministry, you know what, man, we've got to fold that thing up. It's, it's not serving its purpose anymore. So not everything that was ever started or ever created needs to carry on forever in perpetuity. The church does, but uh, just be careful how you apply that. Uh, Let's jump into verse number four. And again, we'll come back to this, I think, in verse six. So hold on to that. Look at verse number four. It says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn 
and a time to dance. Now, every teenager's like, see, dancing's in the Bible. Not what it's talking about, right? Think about David when he came back from battle and he danced before the people, right? It's like the touchdown victory dance. He's not popping and locking, you know, on the dance floor kind of thing. Tell you how old I am. Popping and locking used to be a thing. Um, But anyway, let me say this. This is how I kind of encapsulate it. Heartache and levity are two tracks that this, the uh, two tracks are the same train tracks. That they're running, they're both needed for progress. A lot of times we think, well, if I could just live in a happy set of, uh, set of life, then man, I could get somewhere. No, not according to God. God says, hey, a time to mourn and a time to laugh. Uh, there's a time to, 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 to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time of dancing. Th- these are the same tracks that go on. The, this, your life and I, are, are, they run on this particular track. Now, listen, I love laughter. Uh, I, I like to lighten situations with laughter, even to a fault. But that's not always the appropriate response, right? Last night, I stood with Brother Reese, and the neurologist just happened to come in while we were there. Uh, and that, that, that's not a time to, to dance. That's, that's a time to weep. That's a time to mourn, to weep with those that weep and to, to mourn with those that mourn. And it hurts and it's not fun. But listen, here's the key truth. Seasons don't have to be fun to be useful. They don't have to be enjoyable to be beneficial. God has ordained, and this is important. Listen, I, I alluded to this truth just a little bit before. God has ordained because of the curse. He has ordained and seen it necessary that for us to be like Jesus, heartache must come. Because before, again, before the curse, there was no need for this, right? We were going to walk in his presence. There were no thorns. There was no toil and labor. There was no, to- no labor, uh, no pain and childbearing. That's, we were like Jesus, but the fall broke us. And because it broke us, man, our pride becomes a thing. And we begin to uh, kind of create our own image. And God deems it necessary to bring in weeping. God brings it, deems it necessary to bring in mourning so as to fellowship us with his son and his suffering to conform us to the image of his suffering. And without that, we would not know the image of Jesus without fellowshipping with his suffering. Because of the fall, it became necessary that we would learn humility. It became necessary that we would learn how to be lowly and meek. That it became necessary that we would learn how to suffer as he has suffered to uh, reflect the image of Jesus because of the fall. God has allowed hardship that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now again, if Adam had not touched it and Eve had not touched it, there would be no need for suffering. There would be no need for for abasement and humbling. We would have already been and would be still like Jesus, but we are not. So God deems it necessary to fellowship us with his suffering so that we might know him in the power of his resurrection. So continue on in verse number five, we'll learn our sixth thing. It says a time to cast away stones a time to gather stones together. So think about this. I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Brother Reese would recognize this. Uh, we had to, in the field, we had to cast away stones when we were trying to start mowing. Man, we'd hit cinder blocks and broken rocks and all that. So we had to get it out of there. There was a time for that. Well, we also gathered stones together when we built a wall out here and a memorial out there, right? So there's time to remove it and a time to gather it together. Notice what it says in verse 5, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to hug and there's a time not to hug. I'll give you this one. I, we, again, we're going through this chapter and I was just asking him, hey, when's the time you'd gather stones? When's the time you'd throw stones away? And I got to this question. I said, when's the time you'd embrace? And you know, oh, Christmas, birthday, when someone's sad. And I said, when's the time you'd refrain from embracing? And Noah, comedic gold, says, in the bathroom. <laughs> That's gold. And it's true. Don't hug me in the bathroom. Okay. 
<laughs> Number six, just absolutely hilarious. Number six is this. Life has equal and opposite balance of circumstance. And, and that's, that's what he's saying here. Hey, times to hug, times not to hug. Time to gather stones, times to get rid of those stones. This is especially important to remember when life is hard, that there is another season equal and opposite of it coming. This is also really important when you're doing really well to not just think everything's going to be awesome and easy for the rest of my days. That's simply not the case. Listen, in the dead of winter, we do well to remember that summer will balance the scales. In the struggle of heat, we just remember there's going to come a time where you want it to be hot again, right? There's going to come a time where you miss vitamin C, right? Uh, There's an equal and opposite reaction in life, or a season rather, in life. And we should just remember to kind of, hey, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be this way always, right? This too shall pass. I think it was Yoda said that. Uh, Somebody said it. Uh, Eventually, things are going to be different. Things are going to be better. And at times, things are going to get harder. That's just how seasons of life work. Right? You could rewind. We, we can't do this going forward because we don't see the future. But if we go back six, eight months ago, ten years ago, there was a season opposite of what we're in right now. Man, you know, right now we're all healthy. But, hey, you know, two years ago we were struggling with this. And that's just how life works. So don't get so bogged down in the presence of the season that you think, oh, it's always going to be this way. It's never going to be different. And that plays into the next thought, too. Uh, let me give you the thought, and then we'll give you the, the, the scripture. Um, Actually, no, this is the, the thought on, on that particular thought. Life is not always a net positive, and life is not always a net negative. And the next scripture is what we'll read. Listen, we're not always going to be gaining. We're not also always going to be losing. We tend to think in our seasons of harvest uh, or in our seasons of loss that it's always only ever going to be this. When fruit's coming in, we think, man, it's going to be this way. We make plans. We sign contracts. We make long-term assumption of prosperity. And then our hopes come crashing down because our tr- we put trust in breakable, reversible circumstances of life that seasons aren't going to change and I'm always going to have this job and I'm always going to have this money and I'm always going to have this career and I'm always going to have the health to do this thing. Maybe and or maybe not. But, but the other side of it's very true too and this is probably where we would find more of us. We also in the hard times of life, we tend to think, man, it's never going to get better. Right when when we're we're in in a hard season, or maybe we're in a good season, and man, it comes comes to a crashing halt, and man, there's a hard season of marriage, or there's a hard season of child rearing, or a hard season financially. We tend to have this unrealistic defeatism, like it's just always been bad, and it will always be bad, and it's never gonna get better. Was it good six months ago? Yeah, yeah, but it's never gonna. And we we forget how seasonal life is. And that's a huge disadvantage. We have to remember to look, up, uh, to look up at the reality of God. Listen, it's not always going to be like anything. It's not always going to be like the great times. And it's not always also going to be like the broken times. There will always be change that happens in life. So don't settle in to success and think it's always going to be this way. You know what? And Solomon, let me cherry pick for a second. At the end of the chapter, is going to say this. Hey, because life isn't for sure, hey, if you're prospering, enjoy it. Amen. Go on vacation. Use your money, like enjoy life. That's, the, that's all he gets, right? Because there's no stopping it from changing, okay? But let's look at verse number six. So he says a time to get and a time to lose. So again, net positive sometimes, net negative sometimes, but that's outside of our control. Sometimes we receive and sometimes we, it's taken away from us. And, and here's the difference between uh, verses, the verse six at the end and, and verse seven. It, it speaks to the idea of a free will. Notice what it says, a time to get, That implies that, hey, I went out and I got something, right? Nobody gave me milk. I went and got milk. 
and then a time to lose, right? I had possession of it, and then, man, it was of my own mistake. I lost it. Notice what it says, but there's a change that happens in verse 6 too. It says, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow. This is decisional. Hey, I've got something, and now I'm going to, I'm not just going to lose it like, man, it fell out of my pocket. I'm actually going to throw it away. I'm not gonna, I'm not just gonna to gather something to myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to keep it or I'm gonna choose to throw it away. I'm gonna choose to sow it or I'm gonna choose to tear it apart. Look at verse six at the end and verse seven again. We're gonna break, there's kind of a, I know verse seven has more and verse six had more, but we're gonna just kind of put some parentheses around the end of six and the beginning of seven. It says, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow. Here's what I, we started in on. I think it was our third point and we kind of said, hey, hold on, we'll come back. We're gonna come back. Here's the thought. Sometimes in life, we have to make the conscious decision to cast something away of our own decision. Not just losing something, because sometimes life takes something away from us, but sometimes in life, we actually have to make the conscious decision to say, you know what, Hmm, I'm going to have to give that up. I'm going to have to remove that from me. And I think the verse we were looking at is a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a decision that happens that says, I'm not going to let that live any longer. I'm not going to invest in that any longer. So listen, uh, get, get all you can. There, there's this phrase, you've heard it before, right? Get all you can and can all you get. So like, if you get anything in life, you should keep it. You should hoard it. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Some things in life that you have been given, uh, some things that God has chosen to afford you, you come to a place in life where God expects you to, to get rid of it, right? Sometimes you've, you've, you've got a job or a relationship or a friendship or maybe your extended family. There's some things going on in there. Uh, and and uh, uh, it, it comes to a place where God begins to work in your heart. I remember, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was working at Round Table Pizza, and God gave me that job, and it was awesome. But, man, the culture began to get really perverted and really unhealthy for me as a 16, 17-year-old uh, boy. I think I was 15, 16, 17 and I remember praying, Lord, are you, do you want me here still? Do you want me here still? You gave me this job. Do you, want me to, do you want me to rend this and throw it away and cast it away? Do you want me to get this out of my life? It wasn't necessarily sin, but it was a bit of a weight, and so I threw it away. Now, listen, what I'm about to say to you, we're going to use the example of sewing and rending. This does not apply to your husband's shirts, okay? Um, there is a shirt that he possesses that is always worthy of sewing, it is never time to look at the Ninja Turtle shirt, Stephanie Trudell. I know there's a hole right here. I'm just going to wear it inside or in the backyard. But you know what she did, right? Fingers in, rended it, threw it away. The shirt's not salvageable. No, that shirt was fine. It was salvageable. It fit me. It loved me. It understood me. It heard me. It made me feel valued and loved. Can I get an amen, men? Okay, you see that, ladies? Okay. There's a lot of us who have some deep-seated hurt. How many of you have had your shirt thrown away? The altar's open, ladies. Use it right now. No, actually, that's actually a really good illustration for how careful we should be with not throwing away relationships. But again, please listen to me. This is where it needs to be very, very careful, very spiritual for the next few moments in our hearts and lives. An unspiritual person, my words are going to be like poison to your fleshly senses. You're going to be like, yes, pastor said I could throw away that relationship with that person. No. But listen, there, there have been times uh, that a group of people in my own life that were one-time close friends, that the relationship began to be so irreparable that 
I had to remove myself from that relationship. I can think of instances in college or instances in, in, a previ- in previous ministry where, man, I love this person, and man, I really did try. And, and again, our heart ought to be like that t-shirt, like, don't throw it away. But sometimes it's, something is so broken, it cannot be sown. It cannot be repaired. Now, again, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus can fix all things, right? Jesus can redeem and make all things beautiful in his time. But again, there are churches that, that at one point I was going to that the gap got so wide and the, the theological differences became so obvious that there was no mending, there was no, there was no sewing of that gap in that breach, there, that it just had to be torn and had to be thrown away. There, there are, like I said, an extremely small number of relationships that I can look back on that, that a patchwork became impossible. And those ought to break our heart. But God has ordained seasons of life for exactly that. For some in this room, it's your, your, immediate fam- your extended family, your brothers, your sisters, right? Some stuff had happened. Man, it was just like, oh, I, don't know if I, can, I don't know if I can bring my kids in this situation. And so for a season, I'm just going to have to separate. And listen, again, a, a pack rat is someone who doesn't throw anything away, right? They, they, will, they will hoard everything to a level that is wildly unhealthy and untenable. We need to be mindful that there are seasons to keep, and there are also seasons to cast away. There are seasons where a little bit of thread and some work can fix it. But then there are also seasons where it, it's got to be torn and, and, and removed. And that is extremely difficult to know the difference. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting anything Solomon's not suggesting. Um, as much as lieth in you, you do everything you can to save every relationship you can. Treat it like that old shirt that like, no way am I giving up on you, baby. You, I know Raphael's face is split in half, but this matters to me. You do everything you can. But again, that there's some seasons where, and some of you could give illustrations in your own life, right? You were a part of this church or you were a part of, not this church, but you were a part of a church or a part of this church. And it just became that God made it clear to you that, hey, no amount of stitching and carefulness is going to fix that. And, and that happens, and that's very unfortunate. But again, and I've had these conversations where, where a husband and a wife say, hey, my, my kids can't, I can't raise my kids in that. That's where, where this verse applies. Not like, you know what, Michael Miranda, he took my parking spot again. <laughs> Trash can. No, 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 not at all. Okay, be very careful again. Be very spirit-led in that. Keep reading verse number seven. It says, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Um, ha- uh, listen, uh, who, are in, who, are, who, who in here has a hard time keeping silent? Raise your hand with me. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brother Reese. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> who in here has a hard time speaking up? And no one raised their hand because <laughs> they, they don't want to do it. <laughs> listen, you might be the silent type, and oftentimes that's a good thing. But listen, there will be a season where you are supposed to speak up. That it is necessary that you stand up for right. That you defend truth. That some things can't go unaddressed, right? And if you're more of the passive side, you're like, hey, I just, not that big of a deal. I know this happened with my kid, and I know, I know they've been doing this, but I'm just not going to address Nope. There's a time to speak. There's a time to keep silent, right? Uh, and listen, uh, uh, you may be in here in my camp, right? And you're the one who, who speaks up and sometimes speaks up too much. Sometimes silence is the best option, right? Even a fool when he holds his peace is counted wise. Sometimes it's just best to let the things play out and let God take care of them. Um, Listen, knowing the difference of seasons, and we've seen a lot of different illustrations of what seasons would be, um, that's a lifelong exercise of trying to master. But let's move to our ninth truth, if you would. Look at verse number nine, or verse number eight. It says, a time to love, and I enjoy this one, though it's it's hard to, to wrap our heads around. A time to love and a time to hate. 
a time of war and a time of peace. Let me make two statements all in one, really. Life is not always butterflies and rainbows. And life is also not always napalm and hand grenades. Okay? Now listen for you right now, because each of us heard the truth for the other party. Right? If you're handguns and napalm, you're like, yeah, sissy. Why do you think it's always butterflies and rainbows? Right? And if you're butterflies and rainbows, you're like, why do they always try to kill everything? Why, do they, why are they always so like, just the hellfire, you know, sons of thunder kind of thing? Um, listen, the fact of the matter is there's a balance. There is a season to love. And as I read to my kids this week, there's a season to hate. And Emma, she keyed in quickest because my boys are like, yeah, I get that. Uh, Emma's like, Daddy, I thought you told us we can't hate. And I began to ask a series of questions to drive this reality home, and I'll, I'll ask you as well. What is the appropriate emotion for the following action? When a husband leaves his family for another woman, do we love what he did or do we hate what he did? I think if you've never been in that situation trying to help mend that, oh, the, the proper answer is hate. I hate watching a man be so selfish to satisfy his own foolishness that he will absolutely destroy his children's self-image and confidence. The only word is hate, right? Uh, Do we love it or do we certainly hate it when a grown man abuses and robs the innocence of a child? We hate it and that's the right response. God is angry with the wicked every day. There is a time for napalm and hand grenades. There is a time for, as Jesus said, a millstone around the neck. Sometimes that is necessary, but that is not the proper response every time. Listen, every time someone crosses us, we're we're tying up the millstone. Nope. Every time somebody disagrees with us, we pull the pin and throw. Every time there's a moderate conflict, we call in the bombers, right? Listen, just as it's inappropriate to dance at a funeral when you're supposed to be mourning, don't throw grenades at the guys on your team, right? And don't love the guys that aren't on your team in that regard. So, but let me talk to, to some of our more peace-loving hippies, right? You're, you're, you're like, oh, there's, there's never a time to, to you know, pull a pin and throw. Well, there, there is a time to fight. There's a time to war. There's a time to kill, the Bible says. There's a time where it's necessary to step into the ring to make sure that truth and innocence is upheld. Uh, let me, and I've been waiting for an opportunity to do this, so I'm going to take it, okay? We, got, we don't have all of our men in here, but I'm going to teach our men. Um, the, the world in which we live necessitates that we teach our children, men, that we teach our children what to do if someone touches them inappropriately. And every man in here needs to be wildly proactive teaching their children what to do. Let me let, me let you in, and I know there's different ways to do it. You might not agree with how, I, how I've done it, but here, let me give you some statistics. The number one thing, and this is true, there have been so many uh, uh, questionnaires and, and so forth in prison asking pedophiles, what is the number one thing a predator looks for in a victim. The number one thing across the board is a weak or absent father. That is the number one thing because that, that strong and present male figure is the greatest deterrent to a child being selected by a predator. So let me tell you about the conversation I had with, with my children. This was, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. I can't remember exactly. But I began to tell my children, I said, listen, and I had the conversation with Emma, and then I had the conversation with the boys. And I began to tell them, listen, it's not appropriate for someone to touch you or to do this or to do that. And we went through that, and every, every dad in here needs to have that conversation. But here's also what happens a lot of times. And I know this might not fit, but forgive me. I've been looking for an opportunity to put this in because we need to protect our kids. Um, 
what happens is, oftentimes, is they will take a child and they'll threaten them and say, if you ever tell anybody, I'm going to hurt your whole family, I'm going to do this to your whole family. So I asked my kids, I said, Emma, who is the most dangerous person that you know? She said, shut it. You're a terrible person, you know that. She said, you. And I said, Emma, if anybody ever threatens you, you tell me and I will make sure that person cannot hurt you. I will protect you. I'm the most dangerous person you know in your life. I will make sure that person cannot drink out of a straw. You say, oh, pastor's not a brawler. Okay, if you have a problem with that, we'll, ha- we'll hold a vote on my pastorate if someone ever does that to my kid, and then we can vote and see what y'all think. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you need to be that present figure in the life of a child that says, hey, if anybody ever tells you, don't tell your dad or I'll hurt your family. My kids ought to believe If my dad knows, you have no chance at hurting my family. And that is so incredibly important. There is a time for war. There is a time to hate the things that God hates. Uh, But again, that's not always the response. That's not, you know, somebody cut in front of you in the, you know, the the water, uh, you know, fountain. That, it's not always the response, but there is a time for, for war and a time for peace. There is a time to hate and a time to love. Uh, And it's important that we understand that. So men, please, whatever you're going to do with that, moms and dads, we live in such a broken day. One out of every four women. The number is climbing on the young men's side of things. Just be careful and teach your children how to appropriate. And again, if anything has ever happened to you as kids, please come and talk to us. Talk to your parents. We will take that seriously. Uh, We're not going to be that ministry model. Look at verse number nine. Moving on. It says, what profit hath he, we're going to move into our 10th thought, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Now, here's what he just said. He's just gone through all these seasons, right? And it's cold and then it's hot. We'll kind of use our, 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 our weather system. It's cold and then it's hot. It's harvest, then it's time to pull up. It just, it's constantly changing. So here's what he asks. What's the point? It's just going to disrupt my, my labor. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? He can be outside, kind of like some of you construction workers. You know how it is, right? You're getting ready to go clock in, and then, man, it's raining. You ain't got no work. Yeah. There's no stopping it. So here's the tenth thing we're going to learn about seasonality. The seasonality of life will disrupt your plans and your normal. It's just part of how life works. You're, you're, you're chugging along. Things are going great. I wish it could all stay the same. And then your best friend moves away. You're chugging along. Things are going great. And then, man, this thing happens. It's like, no, what's the point? Well, that's actually kind of where Solomon finds himself. In verses 9 and 10, Solomon looks at the seasons of life more like a threat, this is important, to his plans and his purposes because he's he's powerless to fight against changing seasons. Look at verse number 10. He said, I have seen the travail, which is a, a laborious, hard job. I have seen the travail, what he just mentioned, seasonality of life, which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. That word exercise means this, endlessly afflicted, similar to a hamster wheel. He said, the seasonality of life, man, it is a, I've seen that travail. It is hard, it is unfair, and God has given it to the sons of men to tirelessly exercise them with it. They cannot stop it, they cannot change it. What a sad way to look at the seasonality of life. Like it's a threat, Because anybody who plants and gardens in any way, you know the seasonality of life is crucial. You're going to try to ride that. You're going to try to understand that. You're going to try to know, okay, well, when the temperature's this, that's when we do that. And when the temperature's this, well, it's time to pull it up and it's time to plant something else. But Solomon sees it as a force against his will and desire, whereas you and I should look at life and say, no, these are, 
Yeah, there's good and there's bad, and yeah, there's going to be change, and that's just part of life, and God's going to grow me through the changes of life. Solomon hated the reality of the seasons of life uh, that interrupted his purpose and his labor. Again, he says, what profit hath he, in verse 9, that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Solomon says, to what point are all these seasons? They're just going to change. Harvest is going to be over, and then when you know, it's time to plant, that's going to be over too. But you know the thing is, um, with life, and again, I just spoke about it, seasons are needed. The, the, the ground rests and the ground brings forth fruit and then it, then it dies and so forth. But look at the next verse we'll pay attention to closely. Verse number 11. It says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. That's a really important reality. Here's what he's saying. God determines the seasons. We don't. That word beautiful means this, appropriate. Here's what he said. God makes the summer hot because he chooses for it to be hot. And then he makes the spring the way he does because he determines it. You and I don't get to determine what the seasons are. God picks it. And you and I don't get to determine if it's the time to be born or the time to die. You and I don't get to determine if it's the time for peace or the time for war. You don't, I get to de- don't determine all of these different equal and opposite seasons that you and I just saw. God determines those things. God determines when the seasons change. God determines what's best for our life. He's the one who knows we need the cold, and then he knows when we need the heat, and he knows when he needs the joy, and he knows when we need the sorrow. He knows what we need, so he sends them. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. God is doing the season changing to so submit to that. Look at, it, look at the, the rest. It says, also he hath set the world in their heart. Uh, forgive me, I think, I'm, I think I skipped part of that. Let me grab that in my... Verse number, uh, verse number 11. Oh, there, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was in verse number 10. So I am in the right spot. Forgive me. So he hath made everything beautiful in his time. He hath also set the world in their heart so that no man can find the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now, that's, that's important and somewhat hard to understand. He's a little poetic here. But here's what he just said. God sets the world in our heart. We live on this planet, and we cannot figure out every time what God is doing. So you and I are living under the reality of seasons. We're living under the reality that he's trying to birth Christ's image in us. And sometimes that means pain, and sometimes that means joy. But we're stuck on this planet, and no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He says, you're not going to always figure out why God chose the season of death or why God chose the season of mourning or why God chose the season of joy or why God chose the season of life. You're not always going to be able to know and understand. And I'll tell you this, I'm sure you've all been in that situation as a pastor. I'm in that situation often where someone tries to ask and say, why would God do this? I mean, I can't, I can't fully understand God set the world in my heart. I understand more how the world works than I do understand what God's doing up in heaven. He's, he is bringing these seasons and these changes in our lives, and we don't always understand that. So here's the 12th truth. Trying to master and understand the seasons is more or less an exercise in futility. Stay close as we unpack that. Uh, we live in our world. That's our reality. But the seasons of life are determined by the God of heaven. And we won't always understand why he chooses what he chooses. This is one of the most painful games that we play in life. Trying to harness and trying to hack and trying to, well, and really the reason oftentimes why we want to understand, why did you do this, God? Oftentimes we're trying to understand his motive so we can judge if he was right or wrong. That's what happens a lot in, in, in emergency situations and heartbreaking situations. They want to know, why would God do this? Because I would do it this way. He chose that way. Tell me why he did it so I can judge why God did it and whether or not he was right. And the fact of the matter is, I'll read the verse again to you. No man can find out the work that God maketh 
from the beginning to the end. God doesn't have to explain himself, and oftentimes he doesn't. There are seasons he will. There are seasons in, in, in time he'll make, he'll make it understood. It'll be clear why you walk through it. You'll understand it. But then there are other seasons in life, and there are other hardships in life, and there are other tragedies in life that you'll look at and this side of heaven and say, I don't see anything good that came out of that. That's an exercise of futility. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to understand why the season changed when you didn't want it to. That's what Solomon is teaching us here from this position of a broken heart and this really unhealthy view toward God. Now, Solomon is going to come up for air for the first time in the whole chapter, right, in verses 12 and 13. And uh, it's a pretty easy ride through the rest of the chapter. So let's, let's lean into it. Look at verse 12. He says, I know that there is no good in them, these seasons, these uncontrollable events, but for a man. So there is some good, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. It is the gift of God. So listen, you're not going to be able to understand and hack the changes and seasons of life. So just do what's right and enjoy the pleasant seasons. That's really what he's saying. It's the big takeaway. And I know that seems really like almost unspiritual, right? Like, hey, you can't control God, so just, you know, eat and drink and be merry. But there's some reality to that. That when the season is good, like we have a, we have a pool in, our, in our, our housing association there. And when it's summer, the kids love swimming. That's what they love about summer, right? That's the season. Enjoy it. Hey, it's, it's snowed, right? Some of you all went to the snow already. Can't do that in July. Go and enjoy the season you're in. Now, I get that some seasons that there's not a lot of joy, right? You know, I was talking with Brother Reese about the season they're in and went to the, the ICU waiting room. There's 35 people in there. His family's so close and tight-knit. And if there is anything redeemable in their situation, like we talked about, man, it'd be your family came in, and, man, they love each other. Now, that's, that's, that's not a lot of good to the weight. But there's something there to enjoy in your season. And that's what Solomon's trying to teach us. Just enjoy what God has done. Look at verse number uh, 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. You're not going to be able to change it. Nothing can be put to it. Well, I don't like the season. I want to add this to the menu. Nope. Nor can anything be taken from it. I don't want that. Take it off the menu. Nope. And God doeth it. That men should fear before him. He is in control. He is God. He chooses the seasons. He's not asking for permission. He's not asking for advice. He's God. He knows what your heart needs, and he chose that season for you. Uh, Look at verse 15. That which hath been is now. This is the truth we've already seen. And that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. So listen, it it has always been this way. God has, through all history, chosen the seasons for man's life. Think about even Jesus, right? Submitting to the will of his Father. I'm come to do the will of my Father. What know ye not that I must be about my Father's business? The Father has ordained your life and mine to walk in hard seasons and to walk in good seasons. And again, there are two tracks to the same train track. This track is going to take us into eternity. Now, for the last seven verses, we're going to prove one final big takeaway about the seasonality of life. And we'll just unpack the passage. Here's the 13th thing we learn. God has ordained a season where he will deal with the injustices of this life, the injustices, rather, of this life. So what you're about to walk on is Solomon looks at life and how it seasons, and it's good, and it's bad, and it's hard, and then he says, hey, listen, if I get one takeaway, you're not going to change it, so just do right. Do justly. Enjoy those seasons. Do what's right. 
But then he starts to observe those who don't do what's right. And this is important. God's going to, there is a season ordained to deal with those people. Look at verse 16. And moreover, I saw under the sun. So on top of what I already saw living in this life, I saw under the sun the places of judgment. So he says, I look at the seats where judges would sit, right? In courts and the eldership of the, the, the Jewish people. I looked to where the judges sat. And notice what he notices. That wickedness was there. And the places of righteousness, the places where worship and holiness and the, the, the adoration of God should be held. And I looked at those places and that iniquity was there. Listen, this is true in Solomon's day. It is certainly true in our day and age. We've got judges who are corrupt and anti-Bible. They sit in the places of authority and they hold to wicked ways and wicked views. Even in churches where righteousness is supposed to be upheld, uh, uh, where heaven is supposed to be, uh, you know, his will done here on earth and there's great wickedness. This is a complete miscarriage of justice and holiness, but lean strong into the next verse. So Solomon says, I'm watching the seasonality of life and there's this whole group of people who are supposed to be doing what's right and they're not doing what's right, is there a season that deals with them? Look at verse 17. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. Now that's a good thing for the righteous, though you and I look at it and we're like, ah, man. (laughs) He's talking about our rewards. Our judgment for sin was placed on Calvary. But uh, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time. Remember how he opened the book, opened the chapter? A time and a purpose. There is a time uh, uh, there for every purpose and for every work. So listen, even though we live in this seasonality of life, God says there will be a season where God judges the wicked, where he judges the unrighteous. There's coming a season and a time, though it may feel like, and again, he addresses this later on, that man, the wicked, they're prospering and the righteous are, are they're, they're languishing. And, and Solomon says, yeah, I know that life is seasonal and it looks like all the bad guys get away with it and they're all the winners. But there's a season coming for them too. Notice Solomon's hope. Look at verse 18. I said in mine heart concerning the estates of the the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, and that they might see that they are themselves that they themselves are beasts. This is so important. As we close the, the chapter, here's what he said: I wish men could really see themselves for who they are. You have this God who ordains and orchestrates the seasons. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be taken away. You can't hack it and use it for yourself. God's in charge and control. Then you have these wicked people living in their wickedness, though they're they're the religious rulers and they're the judges of the people. And Solomon says, I wish that men could manifest and understand their estates. I wish that men could look at themselves as they really are. They are themselves beasts. What he's talking about, it'll become more clear as we read. He isn't talking about the value of man because we are made in the image of God. There's greater value in us than there are in animals. But here's the thing. Here's what he's going to say. We are just as fragile. We're just as easy to, and, and understand, to kill. We're just, we're just as undurable as an animal is. We're barely more durable than the beasts of the field. Look, look, what, look at it. Keep continuing. Verse 19. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dieth the other. Animals die, people die too. Yea, they have all one breath, so that man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. Here's what he said. I wish this, the, the states of men were manifest, and they could see themselves that they are really genuinely very fragile. They may sit in seats of judges or hold religious piety over other people, but the fact of the matter is, as one event happens to an animal, so it happens to them. They are not, uh, they are not, uh, there's no preeminence over them. Look at verse number 12. 
all go into one place. All are of dust, and all turn to dust again. All men, rich, poor, strong, weak, righteous, unrighteous, we all go to dust and return to the same place. But what he's saying is animals do the same thing. We're not more defensible or durable than they are. Verse number 21, he's back on the animal thing. Verse 21, who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth? So all dogs don't go to heaven, sorry. Um, it's true though. But uh, this isn't, again, talking about our value, and that's very clear. Our value is we're made in the image of God. We have a soul. Our soul goes up to God. Our body goes into the ground. But an animal, when it dies, it just goes to the ground. There's no soul there. But what he's teaching us there is that we're not, we're not more durable than they are. So we can shake our fist at this God. It'd be just as dumb to watch a, a raccoon do the same disrespect. We, we are just as fragile as they are. We have no preeminence over them that God should bow his will to us. We, we are created beings made from dust and to dust we will go. So when it comes to us shaking our fist at the sovereignty of God and the seasons he chooses for us, it makes no sense. And Solomon's like, I wish we could realize that. Look at verse 22. Wherefore, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own work, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? And, and Solomon ends a lot of the chapters in Ecclesiastes this way, and, and we've talked about it a little bit already, but here's what he just said. He said, I perceive that there's nothing better. There's no other way to look at this. Now, again, this is just life under the sun. If you're living life with a, a heavenly mindset, there's a lot of things better than just enjoying your life. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it, if there's no eternal mindset, then hey... It's not wrong to enjoy the, the benefits, This is to rejoice in your own works, for that is your portion. And then he says, because there's no way you're ever going to be able to see what comes next. You're never, you, you can't live forever. You're not going to be able to see who comes after you or who gets your stuff or who, who takes your company. Hey, go ahead and enjoy what God has given you in the here and the now. And again, that just goes back to this idea that you're not going to be able to change the season. You're not going to be able to harness the season, but you can enjoy the season for what it is. And I know that not all seasons are overwhelmingly enjoyable. Some seasons are hard. Listen, seasons of war are not hard. We would all rather peace than war. But it's necessary. And there's some benefit to it, right? There, there's some benefit to, uh, to enjoy, knowing even though that maybe this thing God has given you or this job or this season of prosperity, knowing it's temporary, knowing it's breakable, knowing you're, you're, there's no preeminence of you over an animal and that you're not, you can't defend it and shake your fist at God or keep it from him. But go ahead and enjoy it. You know, if God has prospered you and given you a job, man, enjoy the vacation. Enjoy the time that God has given you. Enjoy those things. But again, that's not the best it gets. Solomon seems to say that in Life Under the Sun. But again, we've already talked about that. How, how does our job and our money become eternally valuable? Well, when we, we work, we use it for the kingdom. We start investing it into the kingdom. Then there's something even better than just enjoying it. Now you're laying up treasure in heaven. There's something even better than just enjoying it in the here and now. But again, I think there's a balance, and Solomon teaches us that, that, hey, just go out and enjoy what God has done for you and given you, and enjoy your family and the season you get to invest. There's going to be a time where it gets plucked up, and they're, they're moved out, and so forth. So a lot of things to learn, a lot of things to go back over. I would encourage you to take the chapter this week and, and walk through it with your kids, like, like, like I was saying. Hey, when's a time to gather stones and a time to, to move them away, and, and just get them thinking about the seasonality of life. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed tonight.